Hey, I don't think I've um, introduced myself yet. If you're brand new, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're going to go into a time of teaching right now. Uh, this morning, it was really cool. Uh, I was out at uh, Corner Bakery, uh, just some, you know, God time at Corner Bakery. And uh, what's so funny? Like, God's at Corner Bakery. I mean, what? Uh, anyway, and so um, I, was, I was just uh, I was outside there, and I was reading a little bit in Colossians, and there's this great verse in Colossians, that, and I want you to catch this. It says, um, since then, you, as believers, have been raised up with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Right? I know it's just like, hey, you've died with Christ. You've risen with Christ. Um, Focus on the things that matter in life, right? And that's what we're here for, right? That's what we're here for. And we, we do that every week. It's why we gather. We gather here to focus on the things of Jesus. We learn how to follow him. And so are you ready to do that tonight? You ready to do that? All right, let's pray. God, we are just so excited to be here. I know I'm just uh, so excited about Rhea Pop. Uh, just uh, this passage, this concept, this, this teaching, uh, this principle it's just so rich, it's so powerful, it's so life-giving. But Lord, we know that only if your spirit speaks it to our heart does it make a difference. Otherwise, it's dead, it's lifeless words. And so God, we invite your spirit to come. And we pray, ah, you would fall afresh on us, God, and you speak. And that we'd be changed as a result. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our story starts today. On March 23rd of this year, Lynn and I had just taken off from church. Right after church Sunday, it's a Sunday, and we're taking off. Uh, our anniversary is the next day, on Monday the 24th. And so um, we decided to go to Pasadena for just one night. We love downtown Pasadena. We've never spent the night there, which would be fun just to stay there. Um, some friends in our life group had given us uh, some free tickets to the Huntington Library. And uh, Lynn had been. Uh, I'd never been. Because uh, I don't do things like libraries don't sound fun to me. Uh, and so she kept saying, no, you got to see it. And so it's like, all right, it's free, right? So, uh, so, anyway, so we're going we're gonna to go, spend a night in a hotel, see the library, go to a nice dinner. And so we, we take off. And so we're on the 118, and we're heading out there. You can picture this. You know, it turns around, becomes a 210, right? And now we're heading into Pasadena. And we get into uh, right there with a 134 interchange. Can you picture that? And so now it's gonna, you're going to go left. Under, we're going to go underneath the tunnel, and uh, we're going to come out in Pasadena, right? So we're, we're driving along, and all of a sudden this song comes on my playlist. And I don't know how it got there. Uh, it's, uh, it's, this is like my favorites playlist, and I don't think of this song as my favorite, so I don't know who snuck it in there. But uh, anyway, um, I, I'm listening to this song, right? And uh, all of a sudden this lyric comes on that I had never uh, spotted before. I never noticed it before. Whoa. What is going on? You guys having fun back there? It's like, yeah, let's just get them right now. Boom. All right. Uh. Hi, my name's Mike. We're going to start open with prayer right now. We're just going to start over. Let's start over. This story was going somewhere. Uh, anyway, so, uh, so, you know, come under the tunnel, right? All of a sudden this song, song comes on. Uh, I've, I'm familiar with a song that never heard this lyric before. Like, it never really struck me before. In the next, in the next 24 hours, that lyric's going to play over and over in my head. 
And the words of that song are going to shape the next three weeks of this series. Well, today we're going to continue our series <laughs> in uh, Jesus, the Crucified King. And for those of you who are brand new, um, this is how I mess with everyone here. No, <laughs> uh, no, for, 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 for those of you who are new, uh, this is a series, uh, uh, it's actually the third in a trilogy of series on the life and teaching of Jesus as told in the Gospel of Mark. And so we're in this third and final series. We've watched as Jesus has come into Jerusalem. It's the last week of his life. Uh, we've watched the last two weeks now, Thursday night, he's been arrested in the garden. He's been uh, interrogated all night long. He's been brought up on charges before the Jewish High Council, the, the Sanhedrin. He's been convicted of blasphemy, which, which calls for the death penalty. Uh, but the Jews don't have the right to execute under Roman rule. So 6 o'clock in the morning, they're going to take Jesus over across town to the west side of the city uh, as our best guest to the palace, we believe, of Herod. Uh, there he's going to be brought in front of the Roman governor Pilate, who's not normally in town, but he's in town from Caesarea because, uh, because of the Passover. And the city's crammed with pilgrims, and, and, and they're always afraid of a Jewish riot. And so he's in town to help pr- preserve the peace. And so last week, if you're here, Dre did an amazing job of walking you through that scene where Jesus is brought before Pilate, and, and he's brought up on charges of high treason against, the, uh, against uh, Rome for claiming to be a king. And even though Pilate doesn't want to convict him, he eventually bows into the pressure of the crowd, his fear of a revolt, a revolt, a riot, and he convicts Jesus of high treason. And that's where we've been. So last week, as Dre finished, we left Jesus there, convicted of treason against Rome, sentenced for execution. So if you have Bibles, I want you to go with me to Mark chapter 15, verse 15. If your apps, go ahead and turn them on. There in your note sheet, there's a section that's called the Mock Coronation. And we're going to pick it up at verse 15. And so wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. Hello. Hello. Uh, and uh, so Barabbas, of course, is a, a convicted, uh, uh, con- convicted conspirator against Rome. He's, uh, he's let, helped, been involved in a revolt. So he's actually, uh, he's actually accused of what Jesus was accused of. And uh, so anyway, he, he releases Barabbas, and he has Jesus flogged and hands him over to be crucified. Now, for us, that took about 10 seconds to read that, right? Um, for, for Mark's readers... He doesn't need to paint a picture. Remember, Mark is writing for Christ's followers in Rome. They're familiar with floggings. They're familiar with crucifixions. They've seen this their whole life. They don't need an explanation. Uh, they, they know what he's talking about. For us, 2,000 years later, we need a little bit more information. Right? So I want to talk just a couple minutes about a flogging. So you can kind of picture this, and then we're going to move on. Right? So... Uh, Flogging, a Roman flogging would not always happen the same way. There are different kinds of floggings, but, but one of the most common ways, this is probably a great way to picture it for Jesus, is they would take a prisoner and they would attach him via chains to a pillar or a post. Right? So the person's the prison is going to be bent over, their legs are going to be apart, and they're going to strip them naked for this. Okay? 
So he's going to be there, and now the Roman, um, the Roman soldier who's going to administer the, the whipping, uh, they're going to pick up a, uh, a short-handled whip. It's going to have many thongs of leather attached to this. Uh, sometimes they're called the cat of nine tails, nine pieces of leather. Uh, and attached to the leather strands would be bits of bone, uh, bits of uh, glass, and, and bits of uh, uh, metal. And so the, the intention was is that as you'd whip the prisoner, that not only would the leather lashes cut into their skin, but the, the metal and the glass and the bone would, would lodge in the body. Okay? And therefore, when you'd flick it back, it would rip off the flesh from the body. Now, this was so brutal that often a prisoner, after going through a flogging, would simply die. They, they wouldn't survive it. So you can just imagine, this is a brutal, it's a brutal thing that happens. Uh, and, and many times when they're done, you could actually see uh, internal uh, organs. Uh, you're you're going to see a bone, exposed bone, their rib cage, their buttocks, their, uh, their, their, their thighs. These things would rip around. And so you're going to see bone, you're going to see ligament. It, it's a brutal beating. And so, so as we start this story, I just don't want you to miss that because he's going to go, it's a flogging, you know, and we kind of picture, you know, maybe a whip on a pirate ship or something like that. Uh, it's not like that. It, it's, it's a brutal beating that would often leave people to die. And so, so now after that's happened, they're going to take him out outside the city to crucify him. We'll talk more about that next week. But, but before that happens, the prisoners want to have their fun. Now, to, I mean, not the, the, the soldiers, rather. Now, to get into this, we have to understand the mindset. If you're a Roman soldier or you're a mercenary, these may have been mercenaries, they're stationed in Jerusalem during Passover, you are the enemy-occupying army. There are many people in Israel that want to take you out. The reason that Pilate's in town is because these are often riots and revolts. In the years to come, there will, there will rise up a, a group of revolutionaries called the Sikori. The Sikori was a short sword. They would actually just go through the crowds during these festivals, and they would stab people aligned with Rome. They would just stab them, and they just go on like nothing happened. And people fall over dead in the crowd, and you don't even know what happened. So, so if you're a Roman soldier or a mercenary, uh, you hate the Jews. right? They, they're your enemy. They hate you. You hate them. Uh, and so now I want you to picture this, that you have uh, a Jew. You may have not even heard of him before. Maybe you have. Maybe, but he's accused of high treason for claiming to be a king. This is like you want to have your fun. This is very much like the Taliban capturing an American soldier. This is what you need to picture. And, and so all their hatred towards Jews, all their hatred towards this horrible city, all that hatred is going to be taken out on Jesus, not because he's Jesus. He's just a Jew to them. But he's a Jew who claims to be king, which looks ridiculous at the moment as he's bleeding here in a heap. It's like how ridiculous to think this low-life, third-world nation is going to rebel against Rome. Who would be such an idiot to claim to be a king? And so all your hatred is going to come out on this person. You, you follow me this? This is the dynamic. It's not like, oh, he's Jesus and we don't like Jesus. It's just he's a Jew who claims to be king. And so they're going to mock him. And so here's what's going to happen. They're going to take him outside uh, uh, from, uh, they're going to take him inside the palace to a place called the Praetorium. 
and they're going to decide to have some fun. There's going to be, uh, we're told, uh, a large company of soldiers there. The term that's used uh, can often refer to up to 600. Uh, and so we don't know if all 600 were there, but, but this is a large group, right? And they're going to bring this guy. You need to picture that. Roman soldiers, hundreds perhaps, are going to bring him in, and their ringleaders now are going to begin this mock coronation. You're a king. Let's have some fun. And so they're, they're going to find a purple cape, and, and uh, maybe, maybe it's just one of the, the kind of scarlet capes or whatever of one of the soldiers. But they're going to put him on him because kings would wear scarlet. They, or kings would wear purple. It was a sign of royalty. They're, they're going to find some thorns from somewhere. They're going to, they're going to craft together a crown. They're going to put it on his head. They're going to put a reed in his hand. And, and now they're going to begin to, uh, uh, to say hail to him like you'd say hail Caesar. They're going to hail Jesus, king of the Jews. It's a whole mocking thing. Instead of kissing him like you'd often kiss the king or kiss his ring, they're going to spit on him. Right? So, so I want you to picture this. Now, if you've ever seen a TV show, I'm sure you all have, where there's some sort of mob action, right, where, where someone's attacked and the mob gets around, they're kicking and they're hitting, uh, and maybe it's a Jewish person, the Holocaust, or something like that, that kind of a hatred that you've seen, uh, that we've seen maybe in the South, uh, a lynching of uh, African American, you've seen those kinds of things. Uh, you need to picture it like that. This is what's going on. This is like uh, violent hatred, mocking, uh, uh, they're just having fun, right? And, and so this is going to go on until they're done. Till, and we need to picture this happening for a while. Mark's going to describe it very rapidly, but he's going to give us some hints in here. We'll see them, that this is not a fast-acting thing. This is going on for a while. And you just picture that mob scene. Everyone wants their turn, right? Everyone wants to take their shot. Everyone's wanting to be more funny, more creative, say something that oh, gets the guys to laugh, you know? So it's, it's just this very cruel uh, scene. And so, so let's take a look and see what happens. So in verse 15, uh, Pilate releases Barabbas. He has Jesus flogged. We've talked about what that means. So he's coming in. He's coming in bloody. He's coming in, his body is torn to pieces. And they're, and they're coming in. And just I want you to picture this, how painful this is. You know, when I was like uh, in, going into sixth grade, I had a very uh, serious bicycle accident. In those days, you didn't really care about safety because no one cared about kids. And so we were painting our house. I needed to go down to the, the, the uh, hardware store to get some more paint thinner. So my older cousin and I, we go down this huge hill, and it really was. It was this huge, steep, long hill. I'm on a Stingray bike. I've got jeans on, no shirt, no helmet, and I'm going as fast as I can when I have a high-speed wobble develop in my tire, flip over. It's the last thing I remember. Had a five-point skull fracture, almost died, but slid down the hill on my raw back. Can I tell you, the, the pain of that experience for weeks I mean, that's road rash. That's not flogging. To put clothes on was like carefully putting, are you with me in this? And I want you to picture him. He's being brought in now, and they're, he, he's been naked. They put his clothes on him out there. They come, they're taking his clothes off. They're putting clothes on him. You can just imagine his cape sticking in the wounds. Right? You got the, the crown. They're going to be beating him on the head as they mock him, driving it into his crown. Driving his head. And so the soldiers in verse 16, they led Jesus away in the palace, that's a, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole company, that's the word for 600 of soldiers, and they put a purple robe on him. And, and they began to twist together a crown of thorns, and they set it on him, and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. And catch the next three words again and again. 
So this, this, this description goes by really fast. Like Mark's, you know, writing on Greek parts where you don't waste words. It's like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen this, he says. So again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff, and they spit on him. And falling to their knees, and I'm just sure they're trying to outdo. You know how guys are. You're doing something mean as kids growing up. You're picking on somebody or whatever, and you're trying to say the most cruel thing or the funniest thing to get people to laugh, and that's what's going on. And so again and again, they struck him on the head. They spit on him, falling on their knees. They paid homage to him, and then when they had mocked him, when they were done and their energy is spent, it's no longer funny. So how long? 15 minutes, half an hour? I don't know. It's going to take a while. Uh, they, they take off the purple robe, and I want you to feel that coming off his back and how painful that is. And they put on his own clothes and how painful that is. Now I'm going to lead him out to crucify him. And the question I have today is a question I asked you a few weeks ago when we saw him go through his first trial and then the beating. If you were here then, uh, remember I pointed out that Jesus had him over the barrel. Do you remember that? And that they bring in the false witnesses of Sanhedrin in the middle of the night. They bring in the false witnesses. They have, no one can agree. They have to come up with charges that will justify execution. They're looking for legal charges under Jewish law. They've got to have two to three witnesses agree. They can't find anyone to agree. They, they can't. And so they're over a barrel. Remember, finally, the, 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 the uh, high priest does this Hail Mary pass, this kind of final thing of, hey, just straight out. Are you the, key, are you the Messiah? Are you the, 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 uh, the, the Son of the Blessed? And remember we talked about that? All Jesus had to do was take the fifth and he walks. But he didn't. He backed up the truck. He said, you, not only am I the Messiah, let me just let me dump a little on you. And he just backed it up and said, yeah, and he just quotes Old Testament, powerful scriptures about who he is. And then they beat him. And we asked the question, why? And it was because of that that he's taken to Pilate, right? And now he gets to Pilate, and Dre did a masterful job of this last week of walking you through there. Pilate doesn't want to kill Jesus. He senses early on something's wrong here. He hates the Jews. He doesn't want to make their day. He hates these leaders, and so he's looking for any way to get Jesus off, maneuvering this way, maneuvering that way, and all Jesus needs to do is say, no, I'm not a king the way you think I am. I'm not that kind of a king. I'm not leading around. All he has to do is just give an answer, and he walks, but he doesn't. And as a result, Jesus is now being bent over, his legs split, and his arms going over the post. And the question I want to keep coming back to is why? Going into Pasadena that day, the song comes on. It's a song we're going to hear later. It's a song by Hillsong United. The song is called Aftermath. Kind of the results, the aftermath of Jesus' cross. And there is the line that hit me that day as we're going on to 134. Is that it says, you chose the sinner's crown. As you placed the crown on me. And in that moment, I saw the scene. 
Why was he willing to take that sinner's crown, that crown of thorns? Why was he willing to go through these beatings and the floggings and execution? The song says, so you could put the crown on me. What's he talking about? I'll tell you the next morning, Lynn was sleeping in. This is how we do vacation. <laughs> Lynn sleeps in. I go out. And so I'm going out. I'm looking for like a real vibey coffee shop, right? Because I want to have my God time. And so I find this one. You, some of you have been there, Intelligentsia. Great cool place. I go to the back, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that song. And I'm thinking about the line of the song and how creative this song is and how, how it's exactly one of the reasons Jesus died. And, and I really felt like God spoke to me there and said, Mike, when you get to this part of Mark, you need to slow down this series. And you need to spend a few weeks taking the execution of Jesus and like a diamond, like I mentioned last time, hold it up to the light and slowly turn it around. Because every time you turn it around, it's going to catch a little bit different light. And the beauty of the death of Jesus is every time you spin it, it's going to get clearer. And every time you spin it, more chains are going to come off and more freedom's going to come. And so the next three weeks, we're going to slow it down. We're going to spin this. We're going to spin this next, this week and three more. We're going to spin this cross. We're going to keep asking that question, why? And when you come to the New Testament and you ask the question, why did Jesus have to die? It's not like one answer is given. Many answers are given. And one of the answers that's given has this key important word called adoption. And there on your note sheet, there's a section that's called the aftermath. That's the name of the song, the high cost of adoption. So let me just let me just set this up. Um, the concept of adoption was a very important concept in ancient Rome. Often you would have like high nobles, especially wealthy people, uh, even Caesars would, would adopt someone to be like the next Caesar. And they might even have other kids. They just don't like them. Like, wasn't that cool? Like, it's like, kind of like, yeah, I've got three kids, but I don't like any of them. I'm adopting you. Could you be my son? Be my heir, right? So, uh, and what leverage you have over your kids? You better be nice. I'm adopting someone else, and you're out. But uh, anyway, like, for example, uh, the most famous Caesar in Roman history was Augustus Caesar. He was a Caesar uh, when Jesus was born. Greatest Caesar, he brought in the Roman peace. He was the first Caesar to be worshipped as God, brought his universal, uh, universal uh, kind of salvation to the empire. He was called the savior of the world and worshipped as a God. And, and so um, Augustus Caesar, he wasn't even born into Caesar's family. He was, the, he was the nephew of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar adopted him and that's how he, he came in line to then have, be, be at this position to make a run to become the Caesar, you see? And so this concept of adoption is huge in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul refers to it several times. And he talks about the reason Jesus died was so you can be adopted. And I want to give you an example. There in your note sheet, the great passage from Romans chapter 8. And 
I put it in the New Living Translation because they do a great job of translating it. Uh, so he says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of children of God. We're going to talk about this today, how when, when you come to Jesus, one of the things that happens is the Spirit of God comes into your life, begins to lead you. Okay, so could you underline that for me? Like, don't forget that, because we'll, we'll come back to it later. That, that, okay, and so he says, so, you, uh, so you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. In other words, when you come to Jesus, uh, you're not like made a slave in the family, um, but instead you receive God's spirit when he adopted you. There it is, kind of circle it, technical term in the Greek, uh, when he adopted you as his own children. So now we call him what? Abba, Father. We'll come back to that. And he said, um, and so for his spirit, catch this, he joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So when you come to Jesus, uh, the spirit comes in our life, and one of the things he does is he communicates to us, your, your relationship with God has changed. You're no longer an enemy, you're no longer a rebel, you're not a slave, you're now a son or a daughter. And the spirit does that directly, intuitively. He says, and since we're children, we are heirs. In other words, the whole future that God has planned for the universe, we are now part of his family, and we are heir to the future. In fact, together with Christ, he's our big brother, right? We are heirs of God's glory, okay? And so, so, there's, so, so this concept of adoption is huge in, in the New Testament. And so what I want to do is from this passage here, I want to highlight uh, three important realities or principles that flow out of this passage about this concept of adoption and why Jesus uh, was willing to, to embrace the, the sinner's crown. So there in your note sheet, it's a section called uh, The Aftermath, uh, Three Important Somethings. This, mine says principles. What's yours say? Okay, good. It's supposed to be something different, but I blew it. All right. It's supposed to be three important realities, if you know what it's supposed to be. Okay, so, so number one, the first reality is that the cross leads to a new relationship. The first thing that um, I want you to catch is that the cross, uh, what Paul's saying is that the cross leads to a new uh, relationship. Now, uh, I want you to think with me. Um, th- this concept of God as Father is one of the most, a very common concept, but like so many things, we become so familiar we miss the obvious. Uh, and so what Paul is saying is when you come to Jesus, you enter into this new relationship with God as a father. And so um, I want you to catch this. Many times we miss this. That if I were to ask you why Jesus died, I think for many of us our answer is so, so that our sins could be forgiven. And that is true. But I want you to catch, um, that's like saying... Uh, Jesus died so we could be receive amnesty and be set free from prison. And that's true. And we'll talk about that more next week. But the question is, why are you being set free? You see, it's, it's one thing like, like if you got a, a pardon from the governor, you're on death row and you got a pardon from the governor, you'd be set free, right? And when you left the prison, you would walk out and you get the stuff you were handed when you came in, which would probably not a whole lot. Hey, here's the watch, you know, from 30 years ago, and, you know, and, and here's your clothes, and, you know, no longer fixed or bell bottoms and have flowers on them. And, and so, you know, it's like, uh, right? So you, you walk out of prison, and it's like, okay, that's it. And, oh, by the way, here's 100 bucks, you know, good luck. That's how you walk out. Here's what I want you to catch. The picture the New Testament paints 
is the reason Jesus bent over and, and held that pillar is so that when you, not just you could be amnesty and leave prison, but when you walk out, there is someone to meet you there. And that person who's come to meet you there is the creator of the universe. And he says, I want to adopt you into my family with all the rights and privileges of my very own son. And here's what I want you to catch, men and women. We, we use this father language way too easy, right? Like, like what I was thinking about when I was a little boy, this is how I learned how to pray. That's how my, my parents prayed. Um, I don't pray like this anymore, but this is how I learned to pray. I prayed, Heavenly Father. That was my name. I got Heavenly Father. Right? It's what I, I grew up with. But we, we get so used to using the term, we don't think what it means. Like, like this is not, this is not theoretical. This is not just theological. This is reality. Is when you came to Jesus, you were adopted into the family of God. You got a new father, and he's the creator of the universe. And this is what Paul is saying. He says, when you come to Jesus, you come in this relationship, the Spirit comes into your life, and he says, this is one of the first things the Spirit begins to tell you, that you have a new father. And it's not like someone has to teach you this. It's not like someone has to, uh, just theologically, it's the Spirit, catch this, the Holy Spirit directly begins to speak into your life. Now, if you came to Christ young in life, you may not remember this, but if you came to Christ later in life, chances are you remember this, how there's a sense of God no longer being distant or God no longer being angry or far away, that God is close and he is your father. And that's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. And one of the most significant things is what Paul says is this word, Abba. I want you to catch something. The New Testament is written in Greek. The word Abba is Aramaic. Jesus' primary language, mother tongue, was Aramaic. So when you're writing the New Testament, like Mark's writing for Romans, he writes it in Greek because that was a common language. But Mark and many other New Testament letters, when they... They, when they get to pass like this, they will use the word Abba. And then they translate it. Abba, that is, Father. And the question is, why don't they just say Father? I'll tell you the answer. Because Abba is a very close, and it's a term of endearment. Abba is the word that a young child uses for their father. It's a personal family. Even think of it linguistically, Abba, Papa. Do you hear that? In most languages of the world, or many of the, many languages of the world, let's put it that way, this uh, Papa or Dada, this kind of thing. And, and, th- it's, and here's, it blew the disciples away that the creator of the universe through the death of Jesus has become my Abba. And it was so powerful to them that they said, when we get that, we're not translating that one. You see, this is the word that Jesus used. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Father, if there's any other way, 
Remember what Mark said there? I put it on your note sheet, but he said, Abba, Father, Daddy. Catch this. The reason Jesus chose the crowd was so that his Abba can become your Abba. Powerful. Number two. The second reality is that the cross releases the Holy Spirit. Did you, did you catch that in, in Romans 8, that passage we just went through, where Paul says that because you're sons, um, God sent the Spirit of his Son saying, Abba, Father, right? That when we come to Jesus, one of the things that happens is that because we're adopted, God is now free to send the Spirit of his Son into our life to, with, the D, with the family DNA, I want you to think about this. Adoption is such a beautiful thing, even today, to give a child a home who doesn't have a home. So such a beautiful thing. But one of the things you wish you could do when you adopt is, wouldn't it be cool if there was a way you could take your DNA and place it in the son or the daughter? So, so the, their blood is connected. And this is what happens in our adoption, is the DNA of Jesus is passed to us through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to lead us and guide us and direct us to this new life that Jesus bent over so we would have. And there in your note sheet, uh, in the book of Galatians, letter of Galatians, Paul reiterates this. And there, look what he says. He says, God sent sent him, meaning Jesus, to buy freedom for us. So the analogy is a slave market. We were slaves to sin, slaves to judgment. Catch this. So that. He could adopt us as his own children. You see the analogy again? He didn't forgive us just to release us. He forgave us to adopt us. And then he goes on. And because we're his children, God sent the spirit of his son, the spirit of Jesus, into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. See, same thing. What he's saying is that that the reason Jesus embrace the crown was so that you could receive his spirit in you to lead you and so you're not just forgiven and not just adopted but your same old self you're forgiven and adopted and receive a new spirit you can be lead to here's life in our new family how we do it Now, Jesus talked a lot about this. In fact, the night he was arrested, we focused on the gospel of Mark and the things that are kind of, are, are kind of focused on there and then talked about in the other gospels. But one of the things that Mark doesn't talk about is on the last night, Jesus, uh, w- when he's with his men, after Passover, he had a long discussion with them about the coming of the Spirit. You see, you catch this? His death was going to open the door. Like we, Until we were forgiven, God couldn't come to live in us. But once that price is paid, the way is open for the promise of the Spirit from the Old Testament to come. And so that last night, he talked about this a lot. And we'll just hit a couple of these. Well, not all of them, but hit them real quick there on your note sheet. 
uh, John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor. Now catch this. That word counselor is hard to uh, translate. That's why if you get eight different translations, you'll have at least five different words. It's a, it's a Greek word, paraclete, means to come, parakletos, means to come alongside someone. It can be an attorney. It can be an advocate. It can be like a mentor, a helper, a comforter. Uh, I think of him as a life coach. See, Jesus had been their life coach. Jesus had been there. If you wanted to know what to do or how to do it, you go to Jesus. Jesus is leaving. They're bummed out. If you're going, who's going to teach us? He says, don't worry. I will send you. Catch us another counselor. Who's the first one? Jesus. And he, and he says later, hey, and, and let me tell you, it's hard to understand now, but it's better that I leave and he come than I, I stay. Why? Because I'm with you. He'll be in you. He'll take me internal. The spirit of Jesus, I won't be outside of you, I'll be inside of you. And so he says, Alas, the Father, he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him or knows, nor knows him. But look at this, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be what? In you. Then a few verses down, the next passage, this counselor of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He'll remind you of everything I have said. Have you ever had this happen in your life? You're out there and you're praying about a situation or you're not sure what to do, and all of a sudden a passage of Scripture comes to mind, a a, a verse from a song comes to mind, and it's suddenly clear. What's happening? The Holy Spirit is taking the Word of God and He's saying, hey, this is what Jesus said or what the apostle, and this is what you need for this. Look at the next one. John 16, when He, the Spirit of truth, comes. This was all that same night, same conversation. Uh, When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. Why did Jesus put on the sinner's crown? Why did He go through so that the door could be opened, the price could be paid, so that the doors of the prison open, you come out, you're adopted, and the Spirit of His Son comes in you to change you from the inside out, to lead you and guide you to this new life and this new family. And then there's a third, a third principle, is that the cross leads to a new destiny. That what Paul wants us to understand is that when you're adopted, it doesn't change just now, it changes forever. A few months ago, I talked about the show Downton Abbey. You're all so excited. <laughs> Most of you are like, I don't think you knew about that show, you know? And so I mentioned, I did, one of our vacations, I was sick, and so I was slow enough to watch it. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, Lynn wanted to watch. I'd watch one show. It's like, are you kidding? I'm going to slip my wrist, moving faster, you know. But I was sick, and we were there. And it's like, okay. And then I kind of got hooked, you know. And, and now I'm hooked. I'll admit it. I'm hooked now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you're like, good, you got saved. All right. Um, for those of you who don't know the show, you know, set on this English manor, what, you know, 5,000 acres, uh, beginning, turning of the century, uh, ni- early 1900s, and, 
and you know, all the lords and ladies and all the servants and butlers and everything and, and just the intrigue and drama that happens in this house, which under normal situations is really boring, but if you're sick, it's awesome. So anyway, uh, it, but anyway, in this, in this story, one of the, on the very, I think it's the first episode, maybe second episode or something like that, there's this crisis. And the crisis is, is that there's this, this guy that's set to inherit the whole uh, estate. And uh, he takes the Titanic on his maiden voyage, and, and he goes down. And so now the heir is gone, and so it turns out by British law, it goes to this you know, complicated heir system. It goes to this guy who's just like, he's not, even a, he's not even a lord. He's not been raised the right, he's a doctor, but in those days, doctor, kind of working guy, not super highly esteemed. Uh, he's got to earn his living. He's not, he's not been trained for this. And he gets this letter one day that he's become heir of the whole 5,000-acre estate. And he shows up and like, oh, his eyes are about this big. Great guy, by the way. But, but it's like, yeah, you just inherited this. Like, Once you catch, that's exactly what happens the moment you come to Jesus. You inherit the future. You inherit the next creation. Very real, tangible, physical. We talk about here a lot. And this is what Paul says there in Romans chapter 8. Remember we talked about this? He said, his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's children. Since we're God's children, we're his heirs. In fact, with Christ, we're heirs. He's our big brother. We're inherited. This next, the new creation that's coming. But, but if you look at the next passage, it's a few verses down, the same, same context, chapter 8. He says, we believers, even though we have the Holy Spirit, we've talked about that, we've, we've received the Spirit of the Son, um, within us as a foretaste of future glory, the gift of the Holy Spirit's like appetizers for the meal that's coming. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. What you've experienced of Jesus now is the hors d'oeuvres. It's just an appetizer. You, you have just begun to experience life, joy, peace, forgiveness, purpose. If there's any of that in your life, it's just a taste. It's like, just a, here's a taste. It's like, like going to, the, to a nice restaurant and they bring the wine. And they open the bottle and they, they put it out for you. I saw this on TV one time. And they put it out for you, right? <laughs> and then you act like you know, you smell it. That's like, like you're pretending you know what you're doing, right? And then you taste it and you wait an appropriate length of time to say, yes, that will do. <laughs> what we've experienced right now is a taste of the future. It's not the whole glass of wine. It's not the whole bottle. It's not the whole vintage year. It's a taste. And Paul says, we too with eager hope, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies. Uh, footnote, and the new creation to go in those new, play in those new bodies. All right, so, okay, so if you ask the question, why did Jesus wear the sinner's cross?
crowd? One of the answers the New Testament gives is so he could place a crown on you. Pardoned, yes, but met at the gate as you walk out of jail, adopted in his family, filled with his spirit, inheritor of a new estate, the future. Now, that leads us to two questions. There in your note sheet, the, the aftermath, two important questions. Number one, are you pressing in to this new relationship? This new relationship, are you pressing in to this new relationship? Here's what I mean. When you first come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins telling us that your relationship, you have a new relationship, that God is your Father. And it's, it's direct, it's intuitive. But the reality is, I think for most of us, it is often hard to hear. And the reason, and there are often different voices in our mind, in our head. They're, they're voices of our parent. If this is particularly hard for those of you who, who never had a father. Or you had a father that was distant. Or you had a father that was abusive. It's hard. We hear father language. Here's what the Holy Spirit's telling us something, but the voices in our head are telling us something different. We hear the voice of our parents. We hear the voice of some authority figures in our past. Maybe you hear the voice of an ex-spouse. And most of all, we hear the voice of the enemy trying to rob us of our birthright. Men and women, if you've come to Jesus, you have a father. And the father is bigger and better than anything you can imagine. You know, when Jesus came out of the tomb on resurrection morning, he met Mary Magdalene, met a brief conversation. And I want you to see there in your note sheet what he told her. He said in John 20, 17, go to my brothers. Don't, no, don't miss that language. Go to my what? Brothers. And look what he says. Go to my brothers. He said, I am returning to my father and your father. Why did Jesus wear the sinner's crown? So that his Abba can become your Abba. He comes out of the, he comes out of the tomb. And what does he say? Go tell my brothers. I'm going to my father and your father. So see, his whole ministry, he talked about the Father, right? It was like a preview of coming attractions. He talked about the Father. His disciples came and said, would you teach us to pray? He said, sure, pray like this. Our Father in the heavens, literally. 
our Father in the heavens. This is how you pray. I didn't think of God as almighty, creator, the king, absolutely is all that. But he is also your father. And he said, let me tell you about your father. When you pray, Matthew 6, when you pray, you don't have to go into great detail. It's not like the more you pray, you know, you go on and on, he'll be impressed. It says your father knows what you need before you ask him. Do you know right now that your greatest needs you're not even aware of? Are you aware of that? You think you know yourself? You don't. You're more messed up than you ever could have guessed. (laughs) And your father knows that. He knows exactly what you need before you ask. Later on, Matthew 6, he goes on and he says, And by the way, I know you worry a lot about the future. We're we're away from your families and we're traveling around the country. And you worry about how how you're going to feed your family and what you're going to wear and what you're going to put on. He says, hey, but don't worry about that. Just keep sick with me. Keep seeking my kingdom first because uh, your father knows what you need. And if he takes care of the birds, he takes care of the flowers. Trust me, you're way more important than that. Later on, he'll say, hey, your father knows the hair on your head, the hairs on your head. He'll say in Luke chapter 11, hey, if you, even though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more your father, right? Men and women, Jesus bent over so that you could have a father. He put that crown on his head that day voluntarily so that you could have a father. A father that's bigger and better than anything you can begin to imagine. And so the question is, are you pressing into that reality? Are you seeking your father? Are you spending time with your father? Are you learning to ask your father for advice? Are you learning to take your father's advice? Are you praying, God, would you father me? So I pray all the time, God, would you father me? I need you to father me. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the situation is. I, don't, I need you to be my father. Will you father me? Are you pressing in to that relationship? And then number two. The second question is, are you staying in step with the Spirit? We've seen today that when we come to Jesus, we come out of prison, the Father meets us there, we're adopted in His family, taken to His home, and we're, we receive the Spirit of His Son who comes into our life to lead us and guide us and empower us to live a whole new life. He's like a life coach. But I want you to think about that. A life coach is only as good as we're following the coaching. Like if you're a young athlete and you have potential, you know the first thing you do is like, who can I go be my coach? Maybe my, my folks will change school districts. I want to get under that coach. Yeah, really good. What college do I want to go to? Who's the coach? Because one of the things a coach does is he gives you both negative and positive input. What he'll say is, hey, if you continue doing this, you'll never win. 
And you need to stop doing this. You need to start doing this. And we don't have time today to unpack that. All the things that the Spirit comes in our life, hey, stop that, start this. But if you're here every, every week, you, we talk about this a lot, right? And, and the, in the letter to Galatians, remember what Paul says? He talks about being adopted. We talked about that earlier. He sent the Spirit of his Son. That's chapter 4. In chapter 5, he goes on to talk, what does it look like to stay in step with the Spirit that we've received? And he talks about here are the deeds of the flesh of darkness and here are the fruit of the Spirit. He's spelling out for us, here's what it looks like when you're listening and staying in step with the Spirit. And there in your note sheet, he says, Galatians 5, since we live by the Spirit. Catch that. Since the Holy Spirit's come into your life and you've been born again and you come in the family, he says, since you live by the Spirit, you've come alive. He says, then you need to keep in step with the Spirit. So the, the question I have is, that, hey, here's why Jesus wore the sinner's crown. So he could place a crown on you. And so the question is, are you pressing into this relationship with your Father? And then secondly, are you listening to the Holy Spirit who's come to be your life coach and lead you to life? And what we're going to do right now is while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I've asked the band just to sing this song over us, Aftermath, that I've talked about. And I want to give you some time just to reflect on these two questions. Hey, maybe you need to go before God and say, God, I don't know you as Father. Would you reveal yourself to me? in new ways. Maybe there's a situation in your life you need to ask, would you father me in this? Maybe there's an area you say, you know what, I've been resisting my life coach. He's been telling me that this is getting the way. I'll never win, but I've not been listening. Or there's something over here I need to start and I've not been doing. And he's come to lead me to life and I'm resisting that life coach. But during this time, maybe for some of you, you need to say, God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? My life has become dry. There's a lack of spiritual reality in my life. And I want to come back under your leadership. Would you fill me with your Spirit? If there's anything you want to show me, I want the full rights of sonship. I want to experience this. And so as they play, I just encourage you just to let the words wash over you and spend the time reflecting on those two questions. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Let me just proclaim over your, your life, the cross is enough. That whatever you think is too much, it's your abortions, it's your sexual sin, it's your anger, it's your failure, you're raised on the wrong side of the tracks, it's your drug abuse, you're in prison, it's your murder. It's your broken marriage. It's a relationship with God that seems far away and can't, the gap can't be healed. It's your failure as a parent. It's what your parents told you or your boss told you or your ex-spouse tells you. Let me just say over you, the cross is enough. The cross is enough. That you are adopted children. You are deeply loved. 
You are a brother or sister of Jesus. You've been taken into the family. Your future is secure. The cross is enough. And so enough of everything else. Enough of every voice in your head that tells you otherwise. Enough of the voice of the enemy that says your past is held against you. The cross is enough. You have been adopted. You have received the gift of his spirit. And now it's time to embrace the new reality that you have a father who loves you. You have the spirit to guide you. And now all that's left is for you to be who you are. And to not seek the things on earth, but to seek the things above. And to be who you are. And so, God, we come to you as your children, often broken, often wounded, but God, filled with your spirit. And we pray that you would write these things on our heart and you'd free us up from the lies of our life and that we would pursue you with a new passion to know you as our Father, that you'd reveal yourself that way and we would listen to your spirit and stop resisting. When he says, yes, we go, and he says, no, we, we stay, and we let you shepherd us as our Father. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd speak these words and write them on our heart. We celebrate that the cross is enough. And all of God's people said together, amen. 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 Well, next week, we are going to take this diamond of the cross, and we're going to watch Jesus go. We're going to watch him be nailed to a Roman cross like hundreds and thousands before him and like hundreds and thousands after him. And we're going to raise that cross like a diamond. We're going to spin it around and we're going to ask why. And next week we're going to have more chains fall off and more freedom's going to come as we learn the truth of the cross. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.